This week, we continue our series on unsung heroes. Last week, we looked at Tamar. We saw how, though she was abused and discarded by those around her, that God had not abandoned her. We saw how God brought Tamar into the family line of his own son, Jesus. God works in ways that we do not understand and could not begin to comprehend. And it's important for us to see these truths played out in Scripture, even though the stories that they take place in may be a little harder for us to digest. Our story today takes place after the time of Judah and Tamar, and while the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. From our series on Joseph this past summer, we know how the Israelites ended up in Egypt. But when we left the story, everyone was on good terms. It was nice. Things were, things were going well. But eventually, Joseph and the old Pharaoh, they pass away. And a new Pharaoh takes his place. And this Pharaoh didn't have the relationship with the Israelites that his predecessor had. And God had blessed Israel, as he said he would. And the people had multiplied greatly. Exodus 1 tells us that the land had become full of Israelites. And this kind of freaked out the new king, the new Pharaoh. He saw how, how many Israelites there were, and he was nervous that they might try to overthrow Egypt. You know, if, if war broke out, and, and if Egypt was attacked by her enemies, whose side would the Israelites, would the Hebrews, fight on? And so instead of building friendly relationships with this great people, the new king did what we often see happens out of fear. They enslaved them. But slavery did not stop the Israelites from being fruitful, and so Pharaoh came up with another plan to keep the people in line. He called the midwives, Shifra and, and Pua. Now, let's just, let's just pause there for a second. This is two, two midwives. I don't know how there's only two midwives in, in all of Israel. I cannot imagine how busy these ladies were, especially like, the, you know, Israelites being fruitful. There's, there's a lot of babies going on, and there's two? Whatever. God bless them. That's insane. But he calls these, these two ladies to come, and Pharaoh calls them, and he says to them, hey, when a baby Israelite is born, if it's a girl, let her live, and if it's a boy, kill him. The midwives did not obey these orders of Pharaoh, and when he called them to ask them why they were disobeying him, they told him that Israelite women just give birth so fast that the babies are born before they can get there. This answer displeased Pharaoh, but it pleased God. And he caused the Israelites to become even more numerous. And he gave families to the midwives. So Pharaoh moved off of the subtle tactics, no more subtlety, and it became all-out aggressive. He told his people and his armies that if an Israelite boy was born, he was to be thrown into the Nile, the river. Every girl could live, but every boy must die. And that is where we start our story this morning. We'll be reading from Exodus chapter 2, looking at verses 1 to 10. If you have your Bibles with you, you are welcome to read along. If you do not have your Bibles with you, that's totally fine. No worries. The words will be on the screen behind me. We read the word of the Lord this morning. Exodus 2, 1 to 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, or hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. 
Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's wife, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So when I was in seminary, I was asked to speak at the Lent services of a small country church. Karen and I had four boys at the time. We've, we've added two since then, but we had four boys at the time. And so the first night, I went to the church to speak alone. We found that it was usually best to scout places before we brought our kids with us. Then we would know, like, if our children would be the only ones, you know, what volume level people were used to in the sanctuary, where the bathrooms were. That's always an important one when you're bringing your kids to a, to a new place. We just wanted to get the lay of the land, know what was going on, and so I went by myself. Now, this, th this church would do a soup and sandwich before the service, and the look of disappointment when I entered the basement room by myself, it was, it, it, like, the look of disappointment was palpable. Like, they were just not impressed that I had not brought my family with them, or with me. They all knew that I had kids, and they all hoped that I would bring them, and I assured them that the family would be joining me the following week, and they did. We were a little late, and it's, it's dude, when it's cold, like, it's, we're talking February, that's when Lent takes place, and it's cold in Minnesota, and you're trying to get all these kids in their snowsuits and get them in, and buy, it's, it takes forever to get anywhere, and so we were a little late, and, and, and the basement room was full, and we arrived to an audience, right, and the boys just naturally kind of fanned out a little bit, they were getting used to this, and, and I stooped to begin to take Silas out of his car seat so that everyone could get a good look at us, before I began introductions, and that pause was a little too much for my two-and-a-half-year-old. Before I could say anything, Caleb stepped forward, drew in a deep breath, and just pointed out each of us to the church, sitting around munching on soup and sandwiches. That's mom, that's dad, that's Judah, that's Asher, that's baby Silas, and I'm Caleb, he says. He even does it with the thumb, right? Just points out, and I'm Caleb. The room burst into laughter, and, and Caleb had won himself fans for life. There is a boldness in children that can be unnerving. My son stepping out in front of a crowd of people he didn't know and announcing his family took me by surprise. I knew my son, but I still wasn't prepared for the boldness. As I was working through our text this morning, it was the boldness of the sister, the boldness of Miriam, that really stood out to me. Now, I've read this text many times. I love the story of the midwives' rebellion and the bravery of Moses' mother and the curiosity and the protective spirit of his sister as she waited to see what would happen to the little brother that she loved so much. Would he live? Would a crocodile find him? 
Who would come upon the basket hidden in the reeds? What thoughts went through her head when she realized that the daughter of the man who was opposing her people, oppressing her people, was approaching? How did she feel when her brother was discovered and this woman looked upon him, not with anger or hate or fear, but with pity? And I can only imagine the surprise felt by Pharaoh's daughter and her attendants when this little Israelite girl jumps from out of the reeds asking questions. My son boldly stepped forward in a room full of strangers to introduce his family. This little girl stepped forward boldly asking questions in an attempt to save hers. When we were in Minnesota, the boys found a baby turtle. Now, for a group of kids who loved the Ninja Turtles, this was a gold mine. Here was the opportunity to have a turtle, their favorite animal of their very own, but they had a dilemma. Do they ask mom and dad who might say no, or do they just adopt the little guy and try to hide him from mom and dad until it's too late? And now they had to keep him. I sometimes wonder if that was the conversation taking place between Pharaoh's daughter and her attendants. She obviously knew it was a Hebrew baby, and she obviously knew her father's directive concerning the little Hebrew boys. But as much as I may wonder, the text doesn't tell us if Pharaoh's daughter and her attendants had a conversation about if they should keep the baby or not. We don't know exactly what thoughts are going through the mind and the heart of Pharaoh's daughter, other than the text tells us that she feels sorry for the little one alone in the basket among the reeds. And so instead of a conversation between friends about how or what they should do with the lost little one they stumbled upon, what we see is that Moses' sister, is that Miriam, recognizing the softness of Pharaoh's daughter's heart, seizes the moment. She springs from the reeds and almost makes a decision for Pharaoh's daughter, saying, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She has no way of knowing how Pharaoh's daughter will respond. What she does know is that she wants to save her little brother. And save him she does, for Pharaoh's daughter answers yes and sends her to find a nurse for the baby. Miriam runs off to find her mother. Imagine the surprise of mom as she is not only reunited with the son she felt like she just abandoned, but is paid to raise him. Though it must have been extremely difficult to hand him off to Pharaoh's daughter at the appointed time, at least she knew that her son was alive and that he had been educated in the ways and the history of the Hebrew people. The boldness of Miriam saved the life of her brother, and by extension, it saved the future of the people of Israel. For the little boy in the reeds would grow up to be the one that God would use to bring his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, and into freedom. It's not easy to be bold. It is more often scary than it is anything else. And so how does it feel to know that we too are called to be bold? In the book of Acts, during the time of the early church, we have many accounts of the apostles and the followers of Christ proclaiming the gospel boldly. As Adriana read in in Acts 4, 29-31, we'll read again, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is Peter talking, stretch out your hand to reveal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. Then after they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
In Acts 9.28, we read about how Paul, after his conversion, freely moved about Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And in Acts 19, we again see Paul hanging out in the synagogue this time, proclaiming the gospel boldly for three months. And it's not like he wasn't met with resistance. He was. Some of the people in the synagogue were stubborn and even became more obstinate and did what they could to make Paul's life harder. Being bold with the gospel of Jesus will not necessarily make life easier, but we aren't, but we aren't bold so that life might be easier. We're bold that, the, that like the little girl hiding in the reeds, we might save lives. We are called to be bold with the message of Jesus Christ because the message of Jesus Christ is the only hope for mankind. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are the words of Jesus. And this is the message that we are to boldly proclaim. There is hope in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. Just as that little boy lying in the basket in the reeds had no means of saving himself or feeding himself or protecting himself from the sun and the rain and the hunger and the thirst and the wild animals that, that prowled around looking for things to destroy, just as that baby had no hope of saving himself, so we have no hope of saving ourselves. We can't do it. We're incapable. And so we needed one to come and save us, and that one is Jesus Christ. For God knew that we were unable to do what needed to be done for us to be saved, but our lostness does not affect his love for us, and so while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus Christ to come that he might save us. And so Jesus came. He came to earth, born a man, and experienced the joys and the deep pains that life on earth has to offer. And after he had been here teaching and training his followers, his time came. He was betrayed and sentenced to death, death by crucifixion. And so Jesus Christ took a cross upon his shoulders and walked up the hill to Calvary, and there he was nailed to the cross. But mere iron and rope would not have been enough to keep the Son of God stuck to that tree. No, it was our sin that held him there, for on that cross Jesus Christ became sin for us. The sin that we could not save ourselves from, the sin that we could not overcome, the sin that separated us from God was put upon Jesus Christ. And there on that cross, he paid the price for it. There on that cross, he died for it. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we trust in him, when we believe in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, we are saved. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, no longer are our sins held against us. The price has been paid and we have been forgiven. The rags of our sins have been taken from us and we have been given the robes of Christ's righteousness. This is the message of the gospel. This is the hope for all mankind. And this is what we are to proclaim boldly. So... How are we doing with that? How are we doing with telling our neighbor about Jesus Christ and what he has done for them and what he has done for each of us? Often we find it easier to hide in the reeds and hope someone else will jump forward with the proclamation that saves lives. We may be familiar with the motivational posters that we see in the walls of like dentists and, and doctors' offices. At despair.com, they sell demotivational posters 
And one that has always stuck with me is the one for underachievement, which reads, the tallest blade of grass is the first to get cut by the lawnmower. And while we may chuckle to ourselves and think, Pastor, that's terrible, it's how we tend to live our lives, isn't it? If we're brutally honest with ourselves, we don't have a problem with underachieving in God's mission. Let someone else deal with the heartache and the pain. Let someone else do the hard work. I'm just trying to make it through my day, man. I don't need that extra stress in my life. Besides, someone else can do it better than I can. And that person doesn't really even like me. Why would they listen to me? Or maybe our inner dialogue reminds us that when I get nervous, I, I stumble over my words and that'll just make me and the message look foolish and who will listen to someone who is looking foolish? Better to let someone else do it. Someone who is better at that kind of thing than I am. Or maybe we just sit there in exhaustion and the depression of life and think, man, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm hurt. I just, I just don't feel like it right now. The excuses are endless, and man, the assignment is hard. Let us not be taken in by the difficulty of the task or the ease of the excuse. This is the mission that the church has been given, that we boldly proclaim the news, the good news of Jesus Christ. He has changed our lives. May he change the lives of those around us that do not yet believe. It's a hard task, but it's what God has asked. He wants to use you in the mission to bring about his kingdom. He desires that our commitment to community stretch beyond the church doors and overflow out into the streets. And as we sit in that, it can be somewhat crushing, can't it? All the times that we were supposed to be bold, but we weren't. All the opportunities that we squandered parade in our minds before us. One more failure that Christ had to die for. And church, he did die for it. And so that leaves us with another place we boldly go. Before the throne of God seeking forgiveness. There would have been a massive risk in approaching Pharaoh's daughter in the way that our heroine did this morning, in our text this morning. She had no authority, no right to boldness in that situation. She was a little girl, the daughter of slaves approaching the child of the king. And so it might feel for us, we may feel like we have no business approaching the throne of God, for who are we? Who are we but dirty, misbehaving children, slaves to sin, approaching the one who has the means and the right to bring justice down upon our heads? But instead of getting what we deserve, God pours out his grace and his mercy upon us. Instead of the punishment that we have earned, we are given the forgiveness that Christ purchased. So let us boldly go into the world proclaiming the truth of the message of the gospel that people might be saved. And when we fail, let us go boldly to the throne of God seeking the forgiveness that he has lavished so richly upon us. I pray that you are encouraged this morning. I pray that you are emboldened. 
Being the tallest blade of grass is terrifying. But God uses it, encourages us in it, and rewards us in ways that we can't even truly understand until we are enveloped by it. There is a joy unspeakable in being used by God in his mission. And that is a joy that he wants each and every one of us to experience. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the boldness that the Lord asks us to have. I'm thankful for the mission that he has called us to. And I'm thankful for the forgiveness that he pours out over us when we fail. But let our goal not be to fail, but to run the race with perseverance. May we all have the boldness of Moses' little sister. May we all have the boldness of Miriam. What a fantastic, loving, encouraging, gracious, and forgiving God we serve. Amen.